0: the Yoga Alliance is an organization with a long and complicated history that very few yoga teachers really understand. So, I'm going to do my best to provide a little bit of context so that my conversation with Dr. Krista Kaveri, Vice President of Standards for the Yoga Alliance, makes more sense. The Yoga Alliance started with the basic intention to prevent states from regulating yoga. So, they started as a nonprofit registry that was intended to look like self-regulation so that they could raise funds to fight attempts from different states to regulate yoga. Well, the attempt to look like a governing body worked too well. Newer yoga teachers who weren't in the know about the unspoken goals of the yoga alliance were understandably confused and frankly upset by the lack of response from the yoga alliance during the past decade when ethics abuses by well-known teachers started to snowball into a full-blown crisis. The rise of social media and the exposure of these ethics abuses coincided with a serious lack of leadership inside the Yoga Alliance. And I'm a little more fuzzy about this part because I haven't spoken with people who were inside the organization during that time about what they thought their role was and what they believe went wrong. But the result was that there was a huge amount of resentment and mistrust About the organization. Yoga teachers learning about these unethical teachers started wondering who was going to step in to protect them. And the Yoga Alliance was the organization taking their money year after year for dues without being really clear about what they provided in return. The height of this controversy peaked about three to four years ago with campaigns to boycott the Yoga Alliance picking up steam. Since then, there's been a massive change of leadership inside the Yoga Alliance, and the new leadership seems to be a lot more committed to keeping yoga principles in mind and also listening to the membership and adapting the organization with changing times. I'm interested in the story of the Yoga Alliance mostly because they're the biggest and most powerful organization in this industry. I think they have the capacity to be a force for good in the yoga world, but I also think it's up to us as individual teachers to hold them accountable. And that's really what happened and what initiated this new leadership. So with that, let's dive into this conversation with Dr. Kaberi, where she shares her perspective on how the organization has changed in the past few years what her personal goals and priorities are for how they can make a positive impact in the yoga industry, and her thoughts on the future of yoga trainings and standards. I'll see you on the other side. I'd love to start just by hearing a little bit about your background and what led you to being involved with the Yoga Alliance, especially around standards.
1: Yeah, wonderful.
0: I I am
1: a very long time yoga practitioner, uh, also a scholar of yoga, and as far as being involved in Yoga Alliance, really it was it was rather serendipitous. And my background is uh, yoga and wellness. I wrote my dissertation on the identity of American yoga. I serve on the steering committee of the American Academy of Religion's Yoga Theory and Practice Group, and I was at the time that I took the job um, building a wellness program at the University of Denver, as well as teaching comparative religions and ethics at the University of Colorado. So (laughs) I actually went to a um, focus group for when they were looking at redoing their standards. So it was the first time that they were really looking at the standards in 20 years. And to be honest, I thought I would write an academic paper about it. (laughs) And so I went and ended up meeting the person that was, was heading it up at the time and we hit it off, we went out for coffee. And then all of a sudden uh, I, I was part of this wonderful process that Yoga Alliance has been engaged in and will continue to engage in, in terms of thinking about how we can not only continue to provide high quality, safe, accessible yoga, but also how we can think about making sure we're meeting the yoga world as well as working towards professionalization and supporting yoga teachers, um, personally, business-wise, uh, knowledge-based. So, so really excited about being part of it and bringing not only my background as a yoga teacher, a uh, yoga scholar, yoga practitioner, but also as somebody that is of and uh, feels deeply about the community.
0: Tell me a little bit about your personal values and priorities when it comes to standards.
1: My personal rather than organizational? Um, I would say You know, coming from the world of yoga and being at one point in my life, one of the the many that are out there, teachers that are teaching like 25 classes a week, making very little money, not necessarily having health insurance and not even necessarily being considered as serious about their craft or their profession. So I think from my perspective, it's really thinking about how we can recognize the deep value that yoga teachers and yoga itself offers the world how we can not only make sure that we continue that that yoga is safe, but one of my areas of, of quote unquote expertise, or, you know, I did a a comprehensive exam on cultural theory and my track in my PhD was social change or social justice. So really also thinking about the equity piece and making sure that when we think about the future of yoga, that we are thinking about that as widely and broadly as possible.
0: I'm really curious because this has been such a crazy weird year And so when we are engaged with organizations, we hear these kind of polished messages (laughs) that come out. But I want to know what it's like behind the scenes at the Yoga Alliance. What are the conversations that you guys are having? Well, you know, it's been really, um, it's actually for the
1: time that we're in and the amount of pain and suffering and real trauma that we are all going through in terms of what's happening. It's been in some ways it's allowed us to really think about what's happening in this moment and be an agile organization in ways that we haven't been before. And to be able to really think about pivoting and responding to, to needs, not just you know thinking long-term standards, but thinking like, what do we need today? And how are we listening and how are we responding to that need? Um, and those are a lot of the conversations that are happening. I mean, right when COVID happened, the leadership team put together a COVID task force. We put together resources. They met daily to talk about what was happening, what we're hearing from on the ground, how we're responding in terms of studio closures and teachers. Um, Also, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about and that has been birthed out of this really is, is all of the digital events that we're doing. And so We, when COVID happened, we were speaking with the board and and they were like, you know, we want to be there in community, Sangha, with with our community. And so we offered one event. Um, It was very well received. And and from that space, really, I I was tasked along with a a production team and quite a few staff members to be able to put together educational resources and to respond in direct time to the members. So since then, I think we've put on over 300 different webinar events, digital events um, that speak to not only the core curriculum and, and advancing that, but also speaking to things that are going on and that members, conversations that need to be had, uh, whether those are going on in the, you know, cultural milieu, if you will, but also in, in terms of what what happens when we all have to go online as yoga teachers and yoga students? And how are we continuing to listen, to engage, um, and then to utilize? Because that's what's really, I think, beautiful too, is yoga teachers want to work together. They wanna help each other. They wanna be there for each other. So all of this huge network of people and, and expertise coming together to speak to each other for each other, I think has been pretty um, amazing in all of the mayhem, I guess. <laughs>
0: your experience has been that there's been more of a coming together through the adversity. I would say so. I mean, you know, in
1: some ways, obviously, it, it, the world looks very different. And and from the standards perspective, we um, had the 300 and 500 standards board approved, and we're planning on announcing them, um, you know, not too far after. So they were approved in February, essentially. And then March, we all know what happened, right? And uh, and they were all buttoned up and ready to go and now it is going to be a very different world and so what do the standards look like in in some sort of space after being online and and how does that look in hybrid ways so there's also a lot of conversations that are very hard and complicated and you know trying to make sure again that we're we're being responsive and responsible to the gravitas of of you know for me I've dedicated the last pretty much
0: my entire adult life to yoga. So I, I take it pretty seriously. <laughs> Tell me about some of those conversations. Cause that's exactly what I'm interested in, in hearing about.
1: Well, we've already, I mean, we did put together and we're in the process of now putting it, um, editing it and, and packaging it to be able to be utilized by members, but we've had quite a few task forces already. We updated our online best practices, um, We, as I said, we brought a panel of people together that are working in that space uh, who have for a long time or had to pivot and and are doing it well to be able to talk about that and offer their expertise. some of the conversations have been you know asynchronous versus synchronous, which sounds very academicy or something, but it essentially you know, should we do this live? Can this be recorded? How much of yoga can be live? How much can be recorded? you know and, and listening to various communities as well because you know when we first stepped into this space quite honestly, it was like, okay, well, people think that you know about 50% and 50% sounds pretty good. And then, you know, we actually went out and spoke to a lot of different people and found out there's a lot of ways to do it. And there's a lot of ways to do it well. Unfortunately, there's also ways to do it poorly. So we need to take this next year to be curious and humble and allow the, the landscape really to, in some ways, begin to dictate what this looks like. While at the same time, making sure that the standards that we have and that we work so hard to up level uh, are are just not necessarily downgraded or quote unquote watered down, but are transferable in in quality um, and safety and all the ways that we can ensure that in the digital space as well.
0: Yeah, it's a different animal teaching in the digital space versus in person for sure. (laughs) Tell me what you've learned so far. Like what are your current takeaways based on what you knew before COVID and before this whole world shifted to now, which is nine months later, what have you learned about digital learning that is really important, especially if it would be relevant for yoga teachers to know?
1: Well, you know, one of the things I think that we've heard, which is exciting is that that it can be done really well (laughs) and that you can actually teach and learn yoga in a, in a digital space. Um, I think we're also hearing in some ways you can actually be able to um, evaluate and ascertain and see where people are at in the process in a yoga teacher training because of the tools um, of artificial intelligence uh, in, the, in the yoga space or in the yoga digital space, if you will. I think we're learning um, at the same time, there are certain things that should be live. <laughs> and, and those things, you know, does live include or could it just include continual just screens or does live actually need to be in the future bodies in spaces if that is safe, right? So that's still things that are being, you know, talked about on the on a daily basis and, and really trying to... Um, Allow in some ways, in recognition of you know, I remember really naively when all of this first happened, like when we first left the office. It was like, oh, two weeks, okay, I'll see you, you know. <laughs> and and here we are, and and who knows how long we'll be here. And at the longer we're here, the better people get at adapting and adopting and innovating and revolutionizing really the space, the online space. So it, it is, it's it's really. Um, not easy work, I would say, but not boring work. And um, it's really exciting to see the ways in which teachers are adapting. Now, on the other side of that, I won't say it's all like, you know, fairies and ponies and rainbows uh, in in terms of the online space. We're also hearing that there needs to be um, the ability to, to connect. So it can't just be one teacher and 500 students that You know, breakout rooms are very effective. That mentoring is really important in terms of making sure that there's not only peer to peer conversations about these topics, but also ways that there's making sure that there's touch points at a variety of levels. Um, I think, you know, we're hearing from certain people that there's just a lot of connection and like relationships that happen in yoga teacher trainings and in yoga studios that. Are really hard to get in the online space. And maybe we can never, and we can do the best that we can in terms of, you know, I've heard from Jason Crandall does a wonderful thing where he, after he's been doing these online trainings, he has meetup groups. So, like, you know, once a month they meet up and reconnect. So it's not just like you did an online course and then see you never because I know and I I taught yoga teacher training programs and I have students that all became really close friends and are still really close friends and you know I don't know that without that ability to reconnect I think is is one of the things people are still working on in the virtual space
0: you mentioned artificial intelligence and could you talk a little bit more about that what what exactly did you mean by artificial intelligence
1: i just met in terms of thinking about, you know, learning management systems in thinking about um, uh, I've heard people that are, are utilizing platforms. And um, there's a yoga studio in Japan that is doing these wonderful things where they put these really bite sized chunks of information. And then the students have to make sure that they read that information and then that, that information is retained and they can continue to take the little things as many times as they want and all of those analytics go to the teacher so they can see what the students are actually understanding and what they have to continue to go back to so that when they have the live sessions that they're focusing on the stuff that there is confusion instead of just focusing on what they think there might be the stuff that's confusion for example
0: oh that's really interesting so do they have testing involved with that where they yeah they have quizzes with every
1: every module that they have but they're not necessarily like you know, uh, you're going to get an A or an F in this class, but it's, did you meet the competencies to be able to move on for our school to say that you met the Yoga Alliance standards to say that you get a credential?
0: Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, in that way, online learning could be superior.
1: Right. Accountability-wise, in many ways, that's what we're hearing.
0: Well, also just in the terms of being able to fully understand to quantify what people are retaining and what they're not, because I think a lot of yoga teachers, we rely on our intuition and we have a strong sense of intuition and it's really great to have. But the way that I look at the world, it's like, it's, you want to have intuition and then you want to have some neutral structures to test your intuition against because we're human and that means we're not perfect. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with uh, thinking fast and slow, Daniel Kahneman. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, the system, I can't remember which is which, but the fast system is like brilliant, but it makes massive mistakes exactly. because it's intuitive. You know, our ability to to teach it relies on this system, right? At first, those brand new teachers, they're they are working in the slow system. And so everything is so much work. Everything is like, Damn. you know, oh my God, how, do, how am I supposed <laughs> to keep all of these details? You know, the alignment, the music, the lights, the temperature, mm-hmm. and then I'm supposed to pay attention to them and hold space. But you gradually, you graduate and you move into the fast system. And then it's like, it's just, it, it's all part of you. And, and that is essential, right. For being excellent at anything, but there's gaps when you're relying on that, that fast system, then there's gaps. And so for me, I'm always looking at, you know, where are the structures I can put into place to measure the intuition against.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of like when we were redoing the standards and thinking about recognizing that yoga is, it doesn't fit in a lot of people's boxes in terms of, so how, how do we measure that intuition or system one, system two, right? And then, and interestingly in the online space, we are hearing that not only are they able to measure, but then you can meet that measurement. And so, so surprising to me, actually, I'm hearing from some and some very skeptical people going into this, that they are finding they have better teachers graduating Now, who knows what this means when we, you know, but in terms of knowing the knowledge, in terms of feeling like they've reflected on that and that they can integrate it in ways that is measurable um, and quantifiable in ways that we haven't necessarily before, that that is definitely a benefit.
0: Well, and you also mentioned synchronous and asynchronous learning. And the incredible benefit of asynchronous learning is the fact that you can repeat. Exactly. And, you know, anybody who studies learning understands that repetition is just essential, which is why, you know, as yoga teachers, when we go into class, sometimes we think, oh, I've just, I've said this so many times, my students must be bored of it, but that's exactly what they need. They need us to say it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and and that's why they come to class. So that's one of the beautiful things about online, the online space. And I wonder if in the future we might have programs that are more hybrid, is that something that you guys have been discussing?
1: It's definitely something we've been discussing. And, and you know, we don't know the future right now, but I, they say that it takes 66 days for something to become a habit. And we've definitely been operating yoga in the virtual digital space for far, far longer than 66 days. And people, uh, teachers, studios, businesses, humans have invested a lot of capital in, in making this change capital, both being monetarily and time, (laughs) um, and, and in recognition of that, um, I have a hard time thinking that there would be a complete, okay, we were doing this and then there, you know, there, I, it feels like hybrid is the way that we are going in the future in some way or another, you know, there's because of all the learnings.
0: Right. The different types of learning and how Mm -hmm. we can, Approach more different types, and therefore meet more people.
1: There's an access issue as well, and, and and things to think about for people that don't have broadband and all of that. But in terms of students being able to reach teachers across the world and being open to, you know, before, I mean, I've done this myself. Travel somewhere, have to stay there for a month, have to make sure that you basically pause life, and you know, so it is offering access to to different demographics, which I, I think is fantastic.
0: Do you take online yoga classes? I
1: do take online yoga classes. I will say I miss the yoga studio like whoa <laughs>
0: um, yeah
1: but yes I do I do take online yoga classes. I, I have a personal practice as well but I I it's been nice to go back to my studio that I used to teach at and practice with and you know when being in DC I, I used to teach in Denver so being able to reconnect with my teachers again even has been, and, you know, it didn't even occur to me prior to the pandemic to even think about taking classes, you know, with teachers that weren't on some platform like Yoga Glow or something like that.
0: Right. And most teachers weren't even offering them. Exactly. The time, right. So that has been really cool in the ability to sample so many different styles and have access to so many different styles and and reconnect with teachers that, you know, live in a different geographic area. I didn't even, it didn't even kind of land on me that you're in DC, which, you know, we're, we're having this conversation on what is it that, is it the
1: eighth? I'm time has become, but yes, I am actually in back in Denver because of the pandemic as well. Um, now virtually, but DC is where Yoga Alliance's offices are and where a lot of our staff, where our CEO lives um, in the district. And yeah, times are, a lot. Yeah. And yoga is more important than ever.
0: Absolutely. So you, were you, did you move back to Denver because you were like, well, I'm going to be remote anyway. I might as well as is- well.
1: I mean, it just in complete transparency and, and being, you know, we're all in this. So I, I have two small children, I'm divorced and my children's father um, was out of work for the, from March until June. And, we had a house that he now has still in Colorado and he was renting a place um, to be near the kids in DC and, and was sort of like, I can't make it. And Yoga Alliance was gracious enough to, we were working virtually anyway, to allow for that to be a, a possibility to keep our not together family together. <laughs> um, and so, yeah you know, that, that has been, ha- has been sort of a gift in terms of everybody is virtual. People are able to make accommodations that maybe weren't possible before, but um, yeah. So now I am, I am back in Colorado. I'm an avid snowboarder. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Oh my God. It sounds amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah. I would, if I had the choice between the two, I would definitely. I'm not going to lie. I'm, a, I'm,
1: I'm not unhappy. <laughs> yeah. Well, Especially so- today, I mean, with all the love of everybody there, it is you know, um, it would be very scary to be in DC right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, with that in mind, you know, all of how the world is changing, and we've we've talked about this a little bit, but what have the conversations been inside the Yoga Alliance as far as what you anticipate as being the long term? I don't want to say repercussions because it could be, like we already mentioned, they could be positive, but the long-term changes to the yoga industry, because I don't have any kind of data around this, but the number of studios that are closing right now is just incredible. And I've, I mean, I've never seen this. It's like the boom of the nineties is being reversed or something,
1: right? Yeah. It's very, I mean, we don't have the the data necessarily either I have more more anecdotal and, and knowing a lot of yoga teachers and yoga studios uh, and yoga teachers that run yoga studios that are no longer open, I can say that that is definitely happening and. Um, at the same time yoga is definitely not going away um, and yoga teachers are incredibly resilient and seeing how they have adapted and innovated and. From my perspective, and just being part of this as both an academic and uh, in the seat that I sit as an executive at Yoga Alliance, so talking to lots of people, um, I actually think that while it is tragic that uh, that the studios are closing, that there seems to be this opening um, and re-understanding, I guess, of the value of yoga in all these spaces. And we all have been in trauma for very long time and we know as yoga teachers that that yoga is is very helpful and useful for all five of the socio-psychological so mental emotional physical community too and i have a feeling that a lot of people are going to want to go back to those brick and mortars as well and so i think that there will be a or I hope i hope that there will be a rebirth of the brick and mortar and at the same time I foresee that there will be an expansion into more, even more into schools and hospitals and places and spaces that you don't see it now.
0: You know, that's a really interesting perspective because I hadn't really looped around to the fact that real estate prices are finally dropping, especially in those highest markets where the yoga studios weren't able to be sustainable anymore so that's that's a hopeful thing it would just be so incredible if we had more options for yoga instead of less in the future that's exactly
1: right and then if we continue to think about you know the, the credentials and what they stand for in terms of both the standards and the foundation and making sure that it's professional and safe and accessible and equitable, but also the ethical uh side of, of all of this yoga stuff too. Um, and we keep those in mind and we bring them to the to the world. I mean, I, I know it sounds very mm, idealistic, but if we want to bring science into it, I mean, we've been also, we have a scientific research project, we have our director of research, Sabir Khalsa. Has filmed, I think, over 58 videos where he is unpacking scientific journalistic, uh, scientific journal research and what's happening in in major spaces and places that is showing the efficacy of yoga and how it literally makes you better, <laughs> um, and, and makes you better not in terms of like ego better, but in terms of healing and therapeutics. And so, um, I think the the bringing of the science the knowing that, you know, because of our um, societal current story, the enlightenment story, right? That science is is what tells us what's valid, I guess, you know, and knowing that there's so much scientific research that's also backing up yoga will not, will, can't not, I don't think, uh, help to bring yoga to people that it's not currently reaching right now.
0: Similar to that, that framework around intuition is like, many people are attracted to yoga. They don't care what the science says. They have this personal experience with it, but it does help when science can help you explain why it works. Exactly.
1: Right, right. Yeah, no, it's like the mystical part of yoga, the beauty. You know, I, I I always think of the terminology of yoga projecture, like the super ordinary consciousness, those moments of, of you don't know why it's so amazing, but it's so amazing to do yoga, that that's the hook. But it's also for the validity for you know, even even under uh, appreciated or underserved communities, being able to get grants because there's scientific research that says that this is going to help that community is is a huge benefit. Um, and to know that, or to think and to also see that that yoga is being um, validated in that way as well, not just from the beautiful wisdom of the bodies and the science of philosophy and South Asian traditions, but also the way that it's carrying into the now and being molded, malleable to, to the new environment is also, we live in very, very, um, interesting times. Uh, I think we're also living in another sort of innovative time for yoga.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And that's an interesting perspective too, that applying the scientific lens could actually help make yoga more accessible. That's definitely worth exploring and worth Mm -hmm. paying attention to. You brought up ethics recently, a, a little ways back, and I wanted to circle back around to that. And I know this may not be your area of expertise within the organization, but within conversations in the yoga community about the Yoga Alliance the Yoga Alliance has come under a lot of criticism for not doing enough to uphold ethical standards within the community. And I know I've seen a lot of work that you guys have done in the past year or two years Mm -hmm. um, with new standards and the scope of practice and an ethical, go ahead. Ethical commitment. There we go. Yeah. All of that. So that I think, you know, clearly you're listening and paying attention and taking steps. But there seems to be a, a lot of distrust of the Yoga Alliance, especially among people who've been teaching for a long time. Yes, um, I
1: would say historically, we haven't um, necessarily lived into um, being more than or I think we were looked at. And I think for many years as an organization, thought of ourselves as a registry, Um, I think we have moved beyond that to step into the space of of really, we are a credential that stands for yoga teachers. Uh, We are a organization that will support yoga teachers and support the ethical um, underpinnings of yoga itself and a place for there to be accountability to that, right? So we do, we have a much more robust accountability department than we had before. We have a sexual misconduct policy that we didn't have. We have grievance policies in place that we didn't have before. Not only that, we have resources to help our members to create policies. So there's templates on our website. We, um, in terms of the the grievance policies, have really tightened that up. At the same time, we are a voluntary member organization, and we are not the the police. And we, you know, our our power ends at, at revocation. Now, I will say, if somebody does have a grievance, that's you know, especially if it's egregious in nature, we do have the opportunity and the ability and have um, utilized outside resources, investigators, uh, lawyers to be able to make sure that we are supporting our members in the community. And so for those out there that do need that support, we, we offer that, we have that as well as accountability procedures from everything from, you know, refunds. And um, what we don't get into is, is um, more inter- interpersonal, Unless there are, unless that that meets some of the policies that have to do with accessibility or disabilities or uh, a variety of, you know, bullying, um, those types of things.
0: So, one thing I've heard multiple stories of is uh, yoga teacher trainings who were partway through when the pandemic hit, shut down, kept the money. And, and just never offered anything online, like not even a, an option. Have you heard this of this happening? And, and what role could Yoga Alliance play? Um, I, I have heard
1: it happening. I haven't heard of it happening a ton, but there have been a couple of cases that have come to me. And we do require, if you are a Yoga Alliance credentialed school, that you have a refund policy and that you follow that policy. So these schools should have something in place in terms of um what they do if they don't fulfill their obligations or expectations Uh, and so i would suggest if if you haven't been given a refund or or any information to make to talk to those schools and if they don't have a refund policy that to file a grievance and we will look at look into it and follow up and do what we can to support our members
0: that seems like a really gray area as far as legalities go because technically it's stealing but it's not the type of theft that usually gets a lot of um, attention from the authorities. Well, and, and legally, you
1: know, from our perspective, that's, you know, we can require that people have a refund policy. Again, we have templates for that, but we can't go in and make people give refunds. We can revoke their credential as a right. school, which is the, which is a consequence. But again, you would have to go to, to law enforcement, et cetera, for any actual, beyond, you know, making sure that that happens if it's not happening through this process. But again, you know, happy to help and support and understand that this is I actually got a I got a voicemail today from from somebody that was telling me about a student taking a teacher training program online and it not meeting any of the standards or fulfilling any expectations and asking me, you know, what recourse and and letting them know that we do have we have an accountability department and we have Uh, you know, an intake policy and that, you know, laid laid that out. So, so please, if there is something and we can support to the extent that we can, we are here for you. We want to support you. We realize there's a lot again of pain and suffering happening in the yoga community at a variety of levels.
0: On a personal, it's not very personal note, but from my own personal experience, I will say this um, it's been a few years, but when I have called the yoga Alliance as a yoga teacher uh, the people that I connected with were not helpful. Like the people answering the phone, the customer service people did not understand the policies of the Yoga Alliance and were not friendly either.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and that's again something I heard. I've been at, with Yoga Alliance about two years, and I think there was a rather large sea change when we had David Lipsius come in and and really. Um, wanting it to be a less transactional and a more relational organization and and ways that we make sure that that happens. And one of them is our membership department. And I will say, um, Danny Hayes, who's our, our manager of that right now, is just doing a fantastic job, really cares. She's a yoga teacher herself. She cares that the member support representatives understand what's going on with yoga, understand what our policies are, understand what the standards are. She works with them directly. Um, we now have uh, ability within our organization again with artificial intelligence, but the ability to see what's happening. So, you know, there is accountability for them as well, if they aren't <laughs> doing their jobs, following up, uh, understanding. So um, I will say that the current staff that we have now are are fantastic and go over above and beyond. And and most of the feedback I've been getting recently is how quickly they were responded to, how kindly they responded to and how thoroughly they were responded to. So. Um, I would love to hear from you again, you know, in the near future, if you have another question, if you had the same experience or not. But um, I do believe that we've made uh, huge strides and I do understand and have heard that that we weren't where we are now before. <laughs>
0: Well, that's good to hear. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm really happy to hear that. And we can put it out to the listeners because I don't yeah, anticipate please. needing to call the Yoga Alliance anytime soon. Yeah, I was like, but, I, I, um, but I would love if, to know. Yeah. yeah, if anyone listening has has needed to call the Yoga Alliance, what was your customer uh, service experience like? You can you just do Medo at teachingyoga.net and I can just forward it to you. Love
1: that. Yeah, I, I mean, our goal is to continue to to support and to serve and to to live into who we wanna be. And so any feedback is helpful for that.
0: What do you wish that yoga teachers understood about the Yoga Alliance?
1: I think that that, in the most, I, I suppose general of senses uh, is how much we truly are hoping to listen, support, and meet and exceed uh, member expectations of what we were thought to be five years ago and who we want to be now. I, I do think, you know, I really do believe that Yoga Alliance looks, feels, acts, um, embodies itself in a, in a new way. Um, and I would love for those who are skeptical to, to really give us another chance. We have community forums uh, that we have for yoga teachers specifically. We are working on job boards. We, uh, we have a YouTube channel. We have Unity in Yoga a podcast that speaks directly to conversations um, more that are, are social oriented uh, by our vice president of cross-cultural communications, Maya Brewer. We, you know, to, to recheck us out, I guess, is the biggest thing because we're doing a lot more than we were before. <laughs> look at that, even rhymed. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, this is, you know, definitely has felt like a hopeful conversation to me because I have definitely been um, on the skeptical side based on, you know, my own personal experiences. And um, so... I'm glad to hear, and I've been glad to see uh, about a lot of what you guys are doing. I know that it's not an easy job, the standards specifically, because there's the idea of what it could be, and then there's the reality of how much oversight is actually feasible right. in the real world.
1: No, very, very much it is. It's a I often actually hear from people that they don't envy the job that I have. However, I am, I'm honored (laughs) and recognize the responsibility of it and also know that this will need to be a continuing process and then not something that we do again in 20 years, but iterative as we continue to listen and we continue to meet, you know, the yoga teachers and also continue to hopefully work towards helping the up-leveling of yoga knowledge, of yoga professionalism, of, of, equity and yoga spaces of safe, safe assists. You know, there's so many, so many things that, that we have the opportunity to be a part of and, and from a standards where I get to, you know, the fact that I get to, even if it's hard is pretty awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been a really interesting conversation and I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it as well. And again, if, if you would like to reach out to Yoga Alliance, please feel free. Um, I hope <laughs> that you won't have the same experience that Mado had and that I, I, I'm actually, I would say 98% confident that you will be responded to right away. And, and we continue to have working groups, task forces, um, ways to hear from you. So, so let us know what you need and we will continue to listen.
0: Well, that conversation with Dr. Kiberi gave me a lot of hope for the possibility that the Yoga Alliance has heard the concerns of their members and is currently committed to creating an organization that honors the principles of yoga. I do know that an organization though is only as strong as its leadership. So if you're a member of the Yoga Alliance, I hope you'll continue to make your voice heard and hold them accountable if it becomes necessary. If you have had a more recent experience with the Yoga Alliance that's worth noting, whether it was good or bad, please feel free to reach out to me at Mado at teachingyoga.net to share it, and I'll pass along the feedback to them if you want me to. While the conversation with Dr. Kabere was more about the values of an organization, it brought home to me the importance of being clear On your personal values and principles, and also finding ways to create habits so that you can live them every single day. To me, this is an essential component of self-care. I know it's not what we usually think of when we use that term, but having an internal sense of values and actions being in alignment is one of the most nourishing things you can do for yourself. So I invite you to take a few moments to jot down what are your most important or cherished values And what habits do you have for keeping them top of mind? For me, recording this podcast is actually one of them because this section, especially here at the end, where I think about how to embody self-care helps me to stay connected to that and to live that every day. Another example is my daily movement practice where I show respect and love for my physical form. And a third example is my meditation practice, where I explicitly attempt to see the world stripped from my stories about it and practice satya. That's all for today, friends. Thank you for listening, and thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.